I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous team. Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast. A spoiler-free, episode-by-episode, audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series, Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflet. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas. And it is that time of the week once again, Michael Hamflet. The energy levels are high. We're excited. We've had a good day, haven't we? We've had yes. a good day for personal reasons, but we've also had a good day because, as always, you can call us the front of the plane because we are all business to begin with. You can follow this podcast on Twitter or Instagram at Podcast Horseman. Please do give us a like, share, follow, all the usual things on there. We just want to talk with you about this horse. We want to talk ourselves, horse, about said talking horse. And if you'd also like to follow either of your hosts, you can do just that. That's hosts not horses. You can follow me at It's Adam Nicholas on Twitter, or you can follow Michael Hamflet. At Michael Hamflet, and you can find this podcast in all your regular, usual places. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, where we would love you to subscribe, uh, leave a five-star review, rate us, say all the good stuff, say all the awful stuff, but as long as you leave us a review of five stars, we don't mind. You can get us on Spotify, where you can follow us. You can get us on Acast if you subscribe on there. You can also listen through the Acast link that will be uploaded to the at Podcast Horseman Twitter feed every Friday. A new episode goes there every week. And for this one season only, season three, we will be inducting new members into our Hollywood Talk of Fame if you retweet that tweet every friday the tweet goes out with the episode on uh chuck another retweet on there and at the end of this episode and every episode of season three we'll be inducting one of those retweeters drawn at random into the hollywood talk of fame a new star coming at the end of this episode very exciting indeed and you know what they fell for it again didn't they (laughs) is that what it is is that what it is right into your trap they fell right into my trap you were the crabs, you fell into the trap, and I now have a bunch of dinner. Thank you very much. I will, I promise you, one day you will have your stars. But sometimes life just happens. Speaking of crabs, Michael, you can call me Sebastian because we are under the sea in this episode, <laughs> my friend. And we will go to the synopsis on Netflix for season three, episode four. Oh, boy, it's a good one. It's one of my personal favorites, Fish Out of Water. Bojack takes an underwater trip to the Pacific Ocean Film Festival for the Secretariat premiere, where he tries to reach out to Kelsey. And for everybody who's about to watch, I guess we have to talk about this the right way, what you're about to watch is one of the best, most creative, most fascinating bits of television 
you are going to watch live action, animation, or otherwise, I think it's fair to say. And I hope you enjoy it or have enjoyed it as much as we do. Because, Michael, this is not a powerhouse of an episode. This is a power horse of an episode. Oh, you had that one in the chamber, wasn't really? Oh. It's, I saved it for the exact right one to unleash it on as well. Yeah, this is um, this is not an episode 11. This is not a pilot. This is not a season finale. It is none of those fancy things. And yet it is a moment, I would say, in the lifespan of the show, Bojack Horseman, where anyone that still somehow wasn't taking this seriously as a tremendous piece of art, as a tremendous piece of work, had no choice but to stand back and just admire just how stunning and how creative they could be. And let us examine why, shall we? Uh, the cold open finds Bojack boarding a half-and-half half submarine airplane-type vehicle, um, and he's on the phone to Anna. We learn that he's going uh, to promote Secretary in underwater film festival. Predictably, he's not happy about this. He never is. Um, he can't go to Cannes because he... Well, because of A, a very eloquent and erudite critique of Satra, and B, because, quote, the French smells and he hates them. Uh, he can't... <laughs> He can't go to Sundance because he once told Robert Redford that the Horse Whisperer was offensive. Uh, and the Pacific Ocean Film Festival, which is where this plane submarine hybrid is boarding and going to, is one of the biggest in the world. Uh, as Anna puts it, you make a splash there and people are going to notice it. All very good, getting early with the gags. All he has to do when he gets there is go to the premiere at 8pm, walk the red carpet and kiss some fish babies. He uh, He's stressed out like that. He calls fish annoying, which offends the fish sat next to him, uh, but she only speaks in a sort of garbled fish talk, and he uh, just gives her the old, no habla fish talk, so he's kind of like being that xenophobic LA Hollywood actor type to this, uh, the fish the fish language, whatever it may be. Um, it prompts Anna, this moment of offensiveness prompts Anna to remind him about cultural differences, including a thumbs up. But before he can find out exactly what cultural difference that is, uh, conversation moves to Kelsey Jennings, who will also be there promoting another film. He's uh, nervous about speaking to her, but Anna reminds him that they'll be underwater, so there won't even be much talking. Uh, Bojack knows he hasn't been underwater since his mother tried to drown him in a bath when he was 22. Oh. It's not even a callback, just a dark core reference to another awful world, another awful moment with his mother. Uh, and then that sort of seems to bring on a bit of a panic attack. He tries to get off the submarine, the plane. He's annoying all the other passengers on board. And he gets shocked in the back by an electric eel, not with a body, but with an actual zapper, a little cattle prod. Um, and as we hit the credits, things are going under. Um, I hope you enjoyed that little snatch of dialogue there, because it's all you're going to get. Um Bojack is at the airport where he observes various sea creatures living their underwater life. Um, it's an entire world like ours to paint a picture for you. There's an airport, there's cars, there's passengers, there's people just going about living the life. But all of it is underwater. Um, a taxi driver picking up from the airport has his name on a board that you would often see that celebrities get picked up from. Um, and it's to take him to the hotel, but he only speaks in a garbled fish babble. It's much like the voice that we heard on the plane of the person, the fish that he offended. However, it's now underwater, so you can hear even less of it. Bojack tries to speak back, and he's got an oxygen helmet on. Um, so we can't hear his voice. And even if we could, it would be intelligible anyway to these people that clearly only speak in this fish language. Um, because it's so inaudible coming through the glass and because there's an obvious language barrier, he just sort of shrugs his shoulders and sighs and gets into the taxi. Before we go on to the episode... From that opening credit scene and that first introduction to the underwater world, what were your first impressions of just quite what we were getting here? Oh, I mean, it's it's great this because 
I'm having to go back quite a while to the time when I first watched this. It was a very long time ago. And um, I just remember thinking how much I wasn't prepared for this. And like, you initially think, obviously we get the the, op- the cold open, which gives us plenty of dialogue, doesn't it? It gives mm-hmm. us, there's no real nod or sort of wink to know that this is what we're about to witness. Like, you get the suggestion we're going underwater, but there's no inclination that as soon as we get past those, the cold open and past the opening credits, that's it. Like, we aren't getting any more dialogue. This is, from this point onwards, you can hear it instantly. And I, to anybody who's going to watch this episode, you are just in for such a treat. The musical score to this episode is yeah. absolutely beautiful. It creates such a brilliant world uh, under the under the sea in the Pacific Ocean City, I believe it is. Um, and just as soon as you see it happening, I remember thinking, well, how's he going to get out of this one? Like <laughs> in, typical, in typical horse and around fashion, this is almost a great setup for a bunch of gags that he can't do because he can't say any words. It's really, so obviously the cold open is a scene setter, but instantly from this first interaction with this driver at the airport that's there booked to take into the hotel, that sense of isolation and claustrophobia is already starting to creep in. Uh, you can constantly hear noises of the ocean, but as you say, it's overlaid with a just gorgeous soundtrack that plays throughout the music changes to suit the scene obviously which i wish we could illustrate to you for this the podcast form but all we can say is mm. please go and watch and enjoy it for yourself because the audio visual sensory overload here is truly wonderful could, we could try and like hum the tunes if you want <laughs> <laughs> i want to do them such a gross <laughs> service um yeah the idea that the idea that there's a it's not just a language barrier of which we know exists it's a literal audio barrier that oxygen thing, that very thing that is keeping him alive underwater is now the thing cutting off all his forms of communication with everybody else around him. And that sense of feeling trapped in this situation is immediate, even though we know that all he's there to do is, as Anna's put it, a very simple job. Attend the premiere at eight o'clock, get back on the plane and come home. There's need be no more complicated to this than that. But that wouldn't make for 25 more minutes of television, would it? Uh, He checks in at the hotel. Uh, He has a gift basket from Anna, uh, thumbs through it to find various snacks and things like that. There's also a a puff leaflet, which is obviously for the film festival. Uh, He's flicking through it because he's on the cover, but he sees Kelsey's image inside, which is that reminder that she's there, that visual reminder. Uh, he tries to have a drink when he sees uh, Kelsey's face out of his hip flask, but the uh, the whiskey or the brandy, whatever, just floats off into the water. He then tries to smoke, but the tab just bounces against the uh, the glass of his oxygen helmet. Uh, and then he tries to eat, but some fish flakes, like crisps, just sort of fly everywhere in the distance, as they would indeed if you were feeding fish. Um, and even when he tries to watch TV, it's no good. It's all intelligible. It all roughly resembles what you would see on television at home, um, but it is all slightly different to suit the fish world, with the exception of an advert for seahorse mix featuring Mr. Peanut Butter, which again gives him that sense of familiarity, but not really the type he wants to see. Uh, he goes to leave the room, but immediately spies Kelsey coming down the corridor. So he hides back in his room, looking through the people until she's gone back to hers. Uh, when she's gone, he escapes. He hits the lobby where there's various film folk that are doing promo for all the various work that weekend, including Abe the Catfish, who is at a secretariat stand. He's answering questions to the fish press. Again, we're going to have to keep illustrating this point. We can't understand anything. If anything, we're almost hearing this through Bojack's oxygen helmet because the sound is muffled. The sound is garbled. It's almost first person. and We're living this underwater experience through Bojack. But nonetheless, Abe the Catfish spots Bojack and pulls him into the shot where he can uh, sort of have a bit of banter with the journalists, but it's all intelligible to him. There's a bit of laughter. He seems to get through it okay. It's all back slapping, it's all pat on the back because he's the, the star of the show in this case. But 
as he's leaving that, he goes to address a couple of paparazzis that are there to flash pictures. And he gives them the most politest of thumbs up, if only he'd listen to Anna's advice. They seem absolutely appalled at the sight of this thumbs up. The camera's focusing quickly on it and they move on looking disgusted. He just seems to sigh an indignant sigh that I'm still stuck here, I'm still trapped here. But it's at this point that, again, he's stopped in his tracks by Kelsey, who is at a little booth for her own film. There is a kind of awkward moment of eye contact between the two. She is also in one of these um, glass oxygen helmets. So even if they wanted to, there wouldn't necessarily be any verbals at this point. They have this long stare. He tries to hide behind a film festival magazine, but it's the one that's got his face on. So we get the view from Kelsey of Bojack just looking like Bojack, only less obscure than he was before he put the magazine in front of his face. Um, and he decides he's going to try and write a note to break the ice. Uh, he goes to the bar and he tries to, to draft out a few different ideas for a note. So we get this through a really nice visual aid of the things he's writing down suddenly appearing on screen in text as he's scribbling things out of the bar. All of them are terrible, in truth. Um, but ultimately, he finds a draft that he's relatively happy with. He goes to give it to her and she's gone. Um, he spies her just heading out for a walk, leaving the hotel uh, in Pacific Ocean City, which is the first proper look that we get at this place where he's stopping he leaves the hotel and he gets this look around and it's quite fantastic because it's a fully operating multicultural city again to reiterate what i was saying at the airport this is a world you will recognize but just entirely underwater and obviously populated mostly by underwater creatures uh where there is a human they're going to be wearing an oxygen helmet for the most part it's not even other animals as it is in hollywood or in la it's strictly aquatic creatures and others it's others that need the helmets it's others that are in town for the film festival it's really well done because they use uh visual clues of buildings and sites that are very similar to i would say moscow new york and tokyo there seems to be an intentional blend of those major cities where you can recognize a little bit of all of them but it's not set to one in particular and it's really nice how those instantly recognizable locations all come together to create one all of their own. Um, lots and lots of visual clues throughout. Um, anyway, as he kind of walks the streets, you get the you get the buzz of the city. You can't cross a road for taxis and rickshaws. Again, bleeding at the idea that this is a bit of an, an all-in-one type location. Um, she can't hear him through the helmets. And when he tries to give her the note, it's uh, he's caught in a gaggle of suit-wearing fish that are rushing onto a bus. Um, they look like they're on their commute. They rush him onto the bus. The note blows out of his hand. Kelsey sort of storms off and Bojack is left powerless on this bus watching out of the back window as the note drifts away and lands on the spike of a swordfish. Lands right on the nose as if it was a receipt going on a spike. Kelsey just walks off indignant, misses the entire thing. Bojack silently screams out the window that the note has been lost. Um, but he has no choice but really to admit defeat on this attempt to have this communication with Kelsey. Sits on the bus and just drifts off to sleep. Uh, again, more impressions of Pacific Ocean City, Bojack's isolation, the whole thing. Just a really strong introduction to the, the bad time, the difficult time he's going to have down here. This couldn't have been more up my street, this, for multiple reasons. But the biggest one I can probably think of is that, you're absolutely right, by the way, this is such a wonderful collection the the actual city of uh, pacific ocean city is like a wonderful blend of the three cities you mentioned there because they sort of blend the busy taxis with the incredible architecture of uh, tokyo that very specific look but the one that really this tied home with me immediately was when i'm watching this i'm thinking how do we turn 
the film Lost in Translation into this episode of Bojack Horseman? How do we how do we put Bill Murray's character in or put so you put Bojack Horseman's character in the shoes of Bill Murray, having him do a similar sort of thing and sort of interact with the city? The city's as big of a character in this as everybody else is, I think, at this point. Love the way this makes you feel just as lost at times and as yeah. sort of unable to communicate or <clears> sort of push the narrative in any direction because you are just as trapped as he is in this world that is completely surrounded by water. I think it's really clever how in the hotel room they establish a sense of, it's a, a minor sense of panic, I think, in Bojack that we can immediately feel as people watching it. You can't eat, you can't drink, you can't indulge in a habit that you enjoy to relieve stress, in Bojack's case, smoking, um, and you can't flick the telly on to just switch off until it's time to go do the thing you're there to do. Yeah. And that, as daft as it sounds, comes with a moment of real uncertainty because you picture yourself in that moment, you picture yourself travelling to a country because theoretically, even if, unlike Bojack, you were very excited to see this different part of the world and then suddenly wanting a taste of home to make you feel level and make you feel comfortable and you don't get it. If anything, you get rug after rug after rug pulled away from you. And I think they do such a good job of that before he's even left the hotel. And then, yeah, as you say, the city, as big cities often do in live action film and television, often add New York is a common, commonly used city for this sort of thing. It becomes yeah. an integral character within the show. And they do, they make such a marvellous world out of what little time we get to spend in Pacific Ocean City, um, bookending this episode in particular. It's just, it's frantic. And yet it feels, again, partly due to the soundtrack, it feels quite fantasy and otherworldly, and you almost want to shake Bojack and tell him to enjoy this magnificent dreamscape of a place, and yet you're just trapped in his stressful day. Well, that's the thing, and they give you that amazing shot, like animation or not, the stunning, I'm going to call it cinematography, I guess, where mm. we're, go, we're looking, the camera's low, and it's looking up at Bojack, it's essentially looking up under his chin as he stares around the city, we get the shots of the skyscrapers that are around him. As you say, he's panicked. He's a little bit lost. The, the whole the goal of trying to talk to Kelsey, that sort of mental anxiety that's on him already with that, but he can't even calm that down with all the other normal things that he would do just to ground himself. We've all mm. been there when you're in a foreign country. You think you just need a minute sometimes, even if you are having the best time, yeah. to, like you say, sit down, take a breather, just, I don't know, read a book or whatever you would know. Go into your mind palace and do your normal shit that you yeah. would do. Just chill out and touch base before you go about and try to experience new things. And he hasn't even got that. So this amazing shot of him looking like a rabbit in the headlights in the water, who's a horse. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's brilliant. It really is. And they convey it so, so perfectly. So from his sleep on the bus, he wakes. And that city we were just, we were just putting over as this wonderful, beautiful place has disappeared completely. Um, he's woken suddenly by the bus moving over at what appears to be some sort of speed bump or rock, but that triggers the labour of a male seahorse. We learn this through a book that the seahorse hands him, which is a kind of what to expect when you're expecting thing. Um, he's going at labour right now. He's giving birth. Uh, <laughs> the father suddenly starts screaming um, and that it's happening right now. Bojack panics, goes to ask the driver if he can help. The driver taps the sign, which is to say to not to talk to the bus driver or not to ask for help when people are giving birth. Obviously common practice on one of these buses. Um, so Bojack has to do this by himself. He, uh, he has a quick read of the book. He leans over the seahorse and he just asks the seahorse to breathe. That's what we can gather from the, the gestures that he's making through the helmet 
and out pop five seahorse babies. Um, the bus stops and they're kicked out of the bus straight away. Um, Bojack, by taking a look at the bus, notes that it's the final stop of the day. So he's trapped there as the seahorse just strolls off with his five seahorse babies and everything is fine. Um, he has a look at his phone to check the time. Done so rather brilliantly by putting the phone in a little Ziploc bag. And he can see that he's one minute past the last bus of the day. And then he walks past the sign that says it's 30 nautical miles away from Pacific Ocean Sea. A lovely bit of exposition there to just let you know quite how lost Bojack suddenly is. Um, he tries to hitch a lift with his thumb, but that only gets him in trouble again as the car speeds past, beeping some form of aggression with him for seeing that thumb gesture yet again. Um, he then hears gurgling and laughter. Uh, and he can't trace what it is. He's turning around left and right, and then he clocks it. There is a sixth baby seahorse on his back. Um, the baby seahorse climbs over his head. He turns the helmet around to make eye contact with this baby seahorse for the first time. And upon seeing it, he tries to just discard it in the sea. Um, interesting sort of situation here, because he's literally brought these babies into the world, and yet he's prepared to just abandon one on the street away from its family, because it just seems like the quickest easiest thing to do um the baby doesn't seem affected by this the baby just seems to think it's a game that he's playing with bojack leaving it behind uh, until the point when it starts crying uh, misunderstanding a jumping game and falls over and bojack realizes that right now he has to be this baby seahorse's protector and um, the baby starts crying uh, he tries to nurse it he tries to feed it a cigarette as you do uh, the seahorse accidentally tries to latch on and get best fed by bojack all that sort of stuff um but it just won't stop crying and Bojack sees it as his duty in that moment, at the very least, to try and soothe its needs. Um, he goes past the shop that he sees the uh, the seahorse mix with the Mr. Peanut Butter branding outside, goes into the shop to try and get some of that stuff up, uh, along with some fish porn, as you do. Um, he tries to pay <laughs> with dollars, but the place only accepts these particular colour of shells, which is obviously some sort of out-of-city currency that is accepted in the shop. Um, it gets a little bit edgy with the shop assistant, who just happens to be a shark, by the way. Uh, so Bojack has no choice but to steal the mix and the pawn, and the shark chases him with a baseball bat and a crowbar, uh, as if being a shark wasn't dangerous enough. Um, Bojack finally gets away. Um, he just hides in the Mr. Peanut Butter uh, stand-up outside the shop to get a bit of a jump on the shark, and then runs off into some nearby coral. He strolls past a billboard for a freshwater taffy factory, and then recalls that the father of the seahorse was wearing a jacket for that factory before he obviously had to take it off to give birth, um, which gives him his destination, his sense of direction with this uh, seahorse baby. He's got to find this factory. But before we can think too much more about that, uh, the shark bursts through the billboard that he's staring at and, uh, and chases them back off to the point where they reach a sort of a cliff edge. It's an underwater cliff edge that crumbles underneath Bojack's feet and the shark kind of rubs his fins together as if to say, job done. Uh, Bojack Horseman and Baby, probably dead. I don't need to keep up chase anymore. Uh, Bojack and the uh, seahorse drop and drop and drop and drop and drop even further below the surface until everything is just pitch black, until eyes appear to light up the area they're in. Only it's not several different animals, as you might think. It's one undersea creature with multiple sets of eyes, and they're in a beautiful lit-up coral area where the corals sort of take the role as little bouncing obstacles in a pinball machine there of different colours. The soundtrack adds that bell dinging effect every time Bojack or the seahorse bounce off one of them. Um, this was where I had in my notes to, to reference the score and the soundtrack and just how simpatico they are with one another. Because the music has changed about three times at this point. We've had something busier to denote the Pacific Ocean City. We've had something dreamier when he lands at the airport to try and maybe put us at ease 
with this undersea world. And this is more of a, a dance tune. This is more to sort of spark Bojack and the Seahorse into life as they bounce around through these pinball-style obstacles from coral to coral to coral. There's no sense of direction all of a sudden. There's no sense of destination or how they're going to get anywhere. Just that they are playing with the form a little bit. They're playing with where they are under the sea. Um, and yeah, it's the first point, I guess, in Bojack's brief but very significant relationship with this seahorse baby where he's just having fun with it. There isn't that parental thing that he's tried to do. There isn't that total opposite of parental thing where he tried to abandon it. There is just a sense of fun and pleasure with the surroundings that they've finally managed to find. Only now has he been able to just take stock of his surroundings and make the best of it for a couple of minutes. Yeah, I think it kind of gets settled, doesn't it, when he sees the sign that tells him it's not super far away that he's got to go to get to that fresh water taffy factory, like where we get the funny gag where the shark comes through the sign and stuff. Um, and I love the way the music changed during that chase as well, like throughout Bojack and the seahorse's interaction with the shark who was chasing him with the bat and the bar. Um, just like it, it was sort of the dubstep that kicked in in the middle while they're trying to run away mm. and then it would calm back down when everything settled and then it picked back up every time the shark was on the hunt. Really good stuff, this. And then obviously they ended up going down. This coral bit you fall into, like the, you can't really do it justice, can you, with description, I think, on this podcast. We'll try, obviously. It was just... The lights, the, the illumination of each light being a different colour. Mm. And as you say, you get like this, like, do, 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 as they bounce off different bits of the coral, whether some of them have sent the, the little seahorse flying, Bojack's kind of chasing <laughs> it. And it all becomes a little game, doesn't it? They're kind of yeah. following each other around. After the initial panic of thinking this baby might just bounce away from him, he then kind of <laughs> gets his kind of gets his shit together and the two of them just kind of enjoy it for a bit. And it's, as you say, there's a nice little lull moment in between where dare I say it, maybe Bojack is even having a good time. Well, this is it. it. They find themselves bouncing along to what they find at this huge jet of water. The jet is going up. We can't see where it's going, but it's going up at quite a speed. And they kind of share a look together where they both seem to think this is the way we need to go. Bojack wants to get at least back to the level he was at before they tumbled down, down, down that little cliff edge. So they decide to enjoy the jet and in the process of that water jet, they're doing backflips. They're really finally enjoying their circumstances until the very worst possible situation where it turns out that it's some sort of extractor fan at the very top pulling the water to the top, uh, some sort of filtration pipe. Um, the Bojack has got the uh, the porn mag from earlier on that slips out of his pocket and that is just shredded to bits by this extractor fan in this pipe. And obviously we can see that this is the fate that awaits the seahorse baby unless Bojack could do something about it. The seahorse baby slips dramatically out of Bojack's grip and is sort of moonsaulting almost upwards towards this extractor fan. Uh, Bojack desperately swims towards to try and reach for the seahorse's leg. Doesn't, however, does manage to stop the blades going round uh, with his actual oxygen helmet at the very, very last second. And the pair of them are able to throw through the pipe and very fortunately into the freshwater taffy factory. That's where the pipe was sending it. He was due a bit of good fortune, I suppose. There he spies the seahorse's dad, who of course is still just at work at the, uh, the factory. But before he can reunite them, again, that sense of walls being built up in the most basic of communication. He can't shout across. He can't just pass on the simplest of message as he tried to with Kelsey earlier on. Before I can reunite him, uh, the baby seahorse ingests a wave of sugar that comes when Bojack inadvertently bumps into one of the workers in the factory. We see this white cloud of sugar, this sort of 
this dusty thing float off into the distance and straight into the seahorse baby's face. That sends the seahorse to Lally. It's going mad, doing all very sort of backflips around, obviously, a very dangerous factory. Bojack manages to save the seahorse baby from getting turned into taffy, but in the process jams the machine, uh, leaving to a mass taffy explosion. They're both covered in taffy at this point, uh, to the point where the dad seahorse finally does see them as he's cocking off for the day. But they're both so covered in it that he just assumes that they're just two people greeting him, saying hello. He gives them a goodbye and off he's on his way. In the meantime, they've got problems they're going to deal with because they've got the pissed off security guards that are now onto Bojack, who has physically assaulted one of the factory workers, who has caused a taffy explosion and they want to catch him. However, Bojack, <laughs> they give chase to Bojack through taffy, which leads to probably the best visual gag of the episode of them all chasing in slow motion through this incredibly thick taffy. One step after another step after another step. They're not able to get to him any faster. Bojack is able to climb out of a window and escape. Um, although they think they've got the better of him because a ledge, again, we talk about things crumbling underfoot for Bojack here. A ledge gives way, uh, which you would think would spell doom for Bojack. But it's only at this point that he realise he can swim to safety. Rather than falling from the foot of this building, instead just swims higher and higher up into the air with the seahorse in hand. Um, there's a gorgeous shot here where there's a moment of satisfaction on his face through being able to escape, which turns to this grim realisation that he's destroyed something else as the entire factory becomes overwhelmed by Taffy in the background. It just becomes this pink cloud, which seems to perfectly signify yet more destruction that has occurred through, what, three and a half, four minutes of Bojack Horseman's interaction with the place? And it's as if he becomes knowledgeable of that as he's swimming away he's swimming literally towards the light literally towards salvation with a baby in hand and yet there's no sense of satisfaction for any longer than a few seconds when he realizes what what it's caused as they're in the air of course we can see from bojack's point of view and um, the seahorse's dad walking through what looks like a very normal neighborhood so they're able to track his house from on high um before we get to the house which is where bojack is finally going to try and reunite dad with seahorse um your thoughts on the taffy factory the explosion and a, a very normal bit of a Bojack Horseman day in this very abnormal experience that we're all going through. Everything Bojack Horseman touches turns to shit in an instant. <laughs> in an instant, whether it's someone's mental well-being, whether it's someone's happiness, he actually managed to blow a whole factory up. <laughs> Admittedly, while trying to save the life of yeah. a helpless child. So, like as always, we see with Bojack, as there's, there's just that. It's never quite as black and white, is it? He doesn't ever mean for these bad things to happen, but they just do because it's Bojack. And that's that's what happens when Bojack touches it. It's as simple as that. You've summarised that brilliantly there when we do see this uh, taffy factory finally explode. There's this weird moment where Bojack's kind of, just for a couple of seconds, like, it's there. It, it reminded me of Princess Carolyn and Rabitowitz uh, talking about that. She says, can we just... Can we just share this moment just for a second mm. before he completely crushes it? It's very similar. This Bojack's like, ah, did I do a good thing? Yeah, I think I'm doing it. And then the factory explodes in the background, which could have potentially killed a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> when you think about it properly, I know maybe it's not so poisonous because him and the baby were covered in it earlier, but not ideal, that, getting blown up in a taffy factory. Um, maybe this but, dad's lost his job. Well, that's the thing. He might mm. have just cost all of these people a job. They might now be unemployed. None of that matters, though. Because yeah. he's, because in his eyes, he's got the one goal, which is to save the kid and look after the kid. And that's, if that isn't the Bojack like narrative in a nutshell, there, him just, he has that one 
singular focus and how, however he gets there, that's the main thing. It doesn't matter what happens around him. A literal factory exploding doesn't seem to bother him and he goes to drop this kid off. So much to enjoy in this because it's such a, again, such a wild visual, such a wild notion in the factory. Like, freshwater taffy. Why? Why? <laughs> doesn't, doesn't, is there any real reason for it other than because it looks pretty and it's pink and it's a good visual? I don't know, but they make it work because this is Bojack Horseman, Michael, and it's better than the show you like. I think as well what it does quite nicely at that point is it captures, you've spent long enough in this world that it's captured in context. It doesn't feel as strange as it probably is to talk about right now. You just mm. accept this as the latest bit of Bojack's day. Um, and you're right to hit on the shades of grey there with Bojack's decision making and obviously saving the seahorse because we are going to get lashings of it in the next scene, which is a truly incredible piece of television. Maybe the heart of this episode um, Bojack uh, lands, obviously we see the dad arriving um, at the house uh, which Bojack has been tracking obviously, he's absolutely knackered, uh, he greets five very excited seahorse babies uh, that cling to his legs, there's even a, a banner on the wall and congratulations on your five babies, um, Bojack knocks on and hands over the sixth child, um, but it's not really a moment of glory, it's not really a moment of relief or celebration or anything again that the episode might have wrong footed you into thinking would be it is all extremely normal. The dad finds a place on his leg for the sixth seahorse to latch on. Uh, he just looks like he's going to be a little bit more tired. I could certainly empathise. Um, but he just, Bojack himself, maybe looking for the validation, possibly fresh in his mind that the freshwater taffy factory is no more, maybe needed that validation to justify all the destruction that he just caused. And he couldn't get it. And as we'll see, for obvious reasons, the dad is just trying to make ends meet, is just trying to get through another day with these six children, six hungry mouths to feed for a factory worker. Um, he sits down, sits more down at the dinner table. He's pouring out some dinner for them. Uh, he invites Bojack to stay for dinner and Bojack sort of politely declines saying, no, thanks. Um, he offers him one shell, again, very similar to the, the currency that we saw. Again, Bojack politely declines. And that's kind of it. Um, between them that you can see without the verbal cues that the seahorse thinks well I have nothing else to offer you and um, we've had our moment of exchange and thanks very much so Bojack goes to leave the house as all the seahorses are just sat playing with each other having the dinner and in just for me the the scene of the episode remember watching this and I felt so moved by it Bojack again really desperate to attach some value to what he's done uh, in ultimately you know, something of a selfless act, which isn't like him, goes to wave goodbye to the seahorse. And already the seahorse has blended in with its brothers that we can't even tell which one it was. And clearly, nor can Bojack. And this last moment of this last bit of pathos is him having his heart broken yet again, that a connection he thought he'd forged has already been severed. This whole thing just blew me away. I think I was probably moved to tears the first time because I found myself fighting them back again yeah. the second time. Remarkable. A, an animated show about a horse in Hollywood has no right to do this as well as it did. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, obviously, I remember dis discussing this with you the first time, and I knew before you even watched it, I knew I was going to be getting a message about how much it had hit home, because obviously, as a father of two kids yourself, I was like, this is a man who's... the This little kid, the, it really highlights perfectly, I think, the sort of, how much kids need their parents. That was the, like, and obviously we know the guy who's trying to be this surrogate parent, like to look after this little seahorse. 
He's a guy who needed his parents and didn't yeah. get them at all. If anything, could have done without them in the end, go all the damage that they've left on him. Um, but you're so right, because this last scene, and actually something I'd never really thought about until you mentioned it there earlier, I wonder if on top of this, the sort of sadness that we get with Bojack looking on at this family where this kid he thought he kind of made a connection with, but ultimately knows that this is a family unit and he's not part of it. It's another family he's not going to get to see, mm. another kid he's not going to ha- get to watch grow up, another like parental opportunity he's not going to get at this point. But on top of that, as you just mentioned before, like he's watching this dad who's making ends meet and he's knocking up six balls for his kids and he's he's putting the food on. That man might not be in the job anymore, Michael. Like that man's got six kids now to look after. Yeah. And I wonder if that's also playing on his mind because Boja mm-hmm. knows, well, actually, you're going to have a surprise when you go to go to work tomorrow <laughs> and you've got six mouths to feed, yeah? But I think not taken away from the key moment, you have that look on Bojack's face as he's looking through the door and really has, he's connected with this kid uh, and for all intents and purposes, the kid has with him for a moment, but it's a kid. Like, yeah. kids are, just put some car keys in front of his face and they could be distracted <laughs> anyway. Um just truly, truly heartbreaking stuff. And the wonderful piano comes in, doesn't it? The mm. only bit of music, I think, in this episode, which we would have heard somewhere else before. Yeah. It's that. If you've been watching long enough now, three seasons in, you should be able to recognise it. It's that solemn piano that comes in every time Bojack is either making a bad decision or not feeling too great about a bad decision he's already made. Mm. Ultimately, something terribly sad is happening and they just the motif of that continually coming in every time just to remind you, you get that Pavlov's dog feeling in your head where you're like, oh God, like it's just another thing. Another time the piano keys aren't going to quite be able to help him, but they're going to be there to remind you this has not gone down the way he wanted to. You're right as well. The score, that is the only point in which it's familiar. And of course the familiar feeling would be one of dread. Yeah. God forbid it be one of any sort of satisfaction for Bojack. That's just not. And you know, to be fair, what have we even got as a reference point for that? None. The only oh. for me, the only things we can reference are the, the sadness and the darkness and the difficulty. And that is, as you say, what that brilliantly sums up. They chose the exact right moment to kind of snap you back to Bojack's reality in this other world they've created, this literal under and, the uh, world under the world they've created. And they've earned it, haven't they? That's the thing. This yeah. is That's why the show is so great. They've earned that audio cue because whether you know it or not, that has been happening for three seasons now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's it sticks with you into the next scene where Bojack is in a taxi heading back to the Pacific Ocean City. This feels like the saddest, longest taxi ride ever. Just one of those taxis filled with regret and shame and all the difficult feelings Bojack's trying to manage. And in doing that, that seems to prompt him to try again with Kelsey. She might not be there right now, but she'll hopefully be there soon. So he peels off the label of the seahorse mix and starts writing another note. This time he gets it right. He says, Kelsey, in this terrifying world, all we have are the connections that we make. I'm sorry I got you fired. I'm sorry I never called you after. Um, to kind of contrast everything he was doing at the hotel, which was all very flighty, and, hey, Kelsey, how's it doing? Having gone through this experience, he's at least learned the lesson and the point of what it is he's trying to communicate to her in the first place. Um, at this point, the taxi pulls up outside the Secretariat Premier, but the red carpet is being rolled up. He looks at his phone still in that Ziploc bag, and it's 10.22. It's two and a half hours later, and he's missed the one thing he was there mm. to do in the first place. This has been a literally 
wasted day for him. Everything that has happened needn't have bothered happening at all. He needn't have even got on that plane in the first place. Uh, so he just uh, gets the taxi to take him all the way back to the hotel. Um, he pays the taxi driver in dollars, which as we know now is perhaps not the preferred currency of people in this city. Uh, and as the taxi driver drives off grumbling, we see another thumb up shot his way, which we can only assume is not that good. Um, but there's a sign for the film festival's opening night party on a sandwich board. And uh, inside he's greeted by press and Abe to catfish. He's back in sort of comfy company again. Uh, earlier on, this is the same setting of people in that hotel lobby that he kind of wanted nothing to do with. Now, after the experience he had, he perhaps needs that familiar feeling. The closest he's going to get to Hollywood, but under the sea. Um... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Abe the Catfish shows him an article praising the film, saying, quote, it made a big splash. So again, much like the film itself, without Bojack being there, things have gone to plan. He is not a necessary fixture in the promotion of this film, just like he wasn't in the making of it. Um, he gives him a, a series of, he gives him a nicotine patch and then he'll ask the barman to supply him with many more, which is finally how Bojack can get that nicotine hit. He gets a wry smile across his face for the first time because obviously he plays smoke and he does that. He then gets a vodka suppository, which Abe the Catfish has to explain to him in rather graphic detail how in which he should ingest it. He does it and ultimately it gives him quite a good buzz. So he's having a nice night out there uh, speaking to a few girls. But conversation stops dead when he spots Kelsey leaving again for the night. He follows her out. She gets into a taxi. He manages to swim to catch the taxi up and chases her down with a note. She stops the taxi for a second. She appears to read it, but expressionless, hands it back to him and uh, sends the taxi back on its way. Bojack can't work out why that this hasn't landed when he thinks he's finally got the words right. So he takes a look at the note. And obviously because of that type of wrapper that you would get on a bottle with the water interacting with the pen, the words have smudged you can barely make out Bojack uh, and Kelsey on the piece of paper because all the rest of the messaging has been completely lost, as is so often the case when Bojack tries to get a message across. Um, yet again, more evidence that this has just been one long, wasted trip. He pauses for thought, but he happens to be stood at a taxi rank in front of the queue. Uh, and a human suddenly shouts, hey, move it, buddy. Pressing a button on the speaker 
of the oxygen helmet. It takes Bojack a second to process what has just happened, to which the guy responds again, what are you, deaf? And that's the moment that the penny drops for Bojack. He puts his finger to the to the speaker of the uh, the oxygen helmet and says, oh, you have got to be kidding me. And then we get hard cut to credits. I mean, I could have just stood up and applauded what I just watched with the big gag at the end. The gag that towards the end you kind of felt coming as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's a masterpiece. It is. In my, what, of, what we've just watched, what we've just talked about and what we're going to continue to talk about is a masterpiece. It is a show, and I rarely say this um, about my favourite TV shows, it is a show that I feel I could trust with somebody that has never seen Bojack Horseman before and might have the goal to tell me that they would never watch it again. Mm-hmm. And yet they would have to admire the artistry of this 25 minutes. Um, I am not the sort of person that wants to take The Sopranos or take The Wire and sit somebody down at gunpoint and say, look, watch this and you will understand. I would much rather people find their own time to watch it and understand and fall in love as they inevitably will. And then we'll all have conversations after the fact, sharing the good art. And it's the same with Bojack. Yes, I may have been one half of a podcast trying to get people to watch it, but ultimately I would rather they watch it from the beginning. I would rather they find their own journey with it, find their own experience with it and find their own love for it. This episode is an outlier. And in a way it's what puts Bojack above all the rest because I just find it impossible to imagine that somebody wouldn't watch this and be able to appreciate the majesty of what they've just seen. It's incredible. If somebody loves great television and can appreciate that and the art form of it, then there's literally no way you can watch this episode. I don't care if you really hate animation or for whatever reason, just aren't into it or just aren't sold on a talking horse or anything like that, which is the first thing that puts a lot of people off about this show. Mm-hmm. This supersedes all of that. And I think quite deliberately as well uh, by Raphael, Bob Waxberg and his team because this is what if our characters can't talk for 20 minutes? Like, that's, that is a huge handicap to put on an episode and yet ends up producing some of the most brilliant creativity you've probably seen. I would argue maybe the best, it's maybe the, the best use of animation I've ever seen on a a TV, an animated TV show, certainly. I don't think I'm, I, I think I comfortably say that. And I would even maybe go as far to say, in terms of sound design, it is, it is as good as we are saying it is, put it that way, if not better. And if you're into this sort of thing, you are going to have a field day with this episode. Like, there's a reason this episode won awards. It was that good. Um, and coming from the fact that it's just them trying to look outside the box, and ironically, the, you imagine, again, we always talk about the mythical board in the writer's room. Imagine the, 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 the message on the board is, how do we say everything without saying anything? Like, mm-hmm. And they do it in this episode. Yeah. And they do it about the topic of communication, human interaction, connection, all these things that are crucial and fundamental mm-hmm. to, being a human, to being a human being or even a talking horse, Michael, whatever you want to be. <laughs> and they, they hit that message home so powerfully and incredibly. It's just it it we could sit here for hours and we we nearly have at this point sat here for an hour and and spoke about this episode. It's it's just it's a thing of beauty, an absolute marvel. Beautiful is overused in my opinion now mm. in describing art, and I understand why that is. I don't think we've probably. Oh, I'd like to think we've never been at such a, a cultural peak in human history. Um, yeah. But people will dare to call I don't know. Um, 
Christmas adverts. Beautiful. Uh, that's not beautiful because this is the bar for beautiful. Yeah. Um, Bojack Horseman, Fish Out of Water is where everybody should look to when they want a day in a piece of art beautiful, in my opinion, at the risk of sounding pretentious or snobby. This is in terms of contemporary art, which is what obviously television is. It's as good as it gets. Now, for the show that's aspiring to hit that bar that we often see a jumps into the god tier of television, this fits the MO, doesn't it? Really does. Like, it, it, I, you can't understate it enough. And if you are open to trying to to see how TV can be reimagined, yeah, then this is how you do it. Like, this is a show that's tried to do that and hasn't just done it. It's absolutely smashed the ball out <laughs> yeah. of the park in a million different ways. But assuming that is everything we've had for our episode recap on your end of the classic Bojack side of things, maybe it could be time to dive into the horse and around side of things, a part of the show yes, where we please. go back and we look through all of the hidden meanings, the things you might have missed, and the Easter eggs from this episode. And interestingly, there was areas where there was a lot, but then long spells where there wasn't because you are just being left to enjoy the splendour mm. of such a beautifully crafted world that they've made. But let's go back to the very beginning of the episode. And start with the submarine that they go on that takes him, that Bojack is going on to take him down to Pacific, Pacific Ocean City. The submarine name you will see on the side is 20k Leagues Sublines, which is a <laughs> reference to the 20k oh, Leagues yeah. Undersea film from 1954. Um, there's also the camera woman who is, as a few others you'll spot throughout the episode, because obviously the crew and team of Secretariat are going down to the film. You may mm. recognise, I think she's a camera woman who has all the tattoos and the bluish green hair you'll have seen. Yes, yeah. She's, she's sitting on the aeroplane as Bojack's having his moment later on. There's also the fish woman you mentioned, who he offends, is reading a magazine, which is called Abyss Mall, <laughs> which is beautiful. I really, really love that. It was just such a subtle little thing. There's also a woman who is a snake, uh, sorry, a family of snakes, uh, a mother snake, a father snake, and a child snake who is being fed a bottle of um, a baby feed, I guess, or maybe even sea, seaborn seahorse milk, maybe. who knows? I'm not a parent, it's up to them what they do. But on top of that, when Bojack starts making this commotion, you wonder why we've seen a snake. There's got to be a payoff, and you don't see it until the commotion happens. The snake is suddenly holding a rattle as it shakes to try and calm it down because, Michael, it's a rattlesnake. Brilliant. Of course it is. So the most good. simple. The most simple is always the most effective. Bojack, brilliantly as well, as he's about to be, unfortunately, tasered by the eel who doesn't use his natural abilities and has the taser in hand. Bojack says this line, brilliant stuff. He says, I'm a land creature. I don't belong down there. You can lead me to water, but you cannot make me. And then he gets tasered. <laughs> Obviously, cutting out the line that we were all, this is what they do so well as well. Play on those subtle little puns that they don't give you. But if you're smart enough, you will catch them. We go to the restaurant that's sort of in the middle of the phone call that Bojack's having with Anna Spanakopita as she explains what he has to do. You'll notice on her menu, she's at a posh restaurant and it's got two sections on it. Well, a couple of sections, but one side it says gluten-free, and on the other side it says some gluten. <laughs> no, just in case you don't want all of it. Also, the gag in this particular bit is there's a camel in the background who's sat at a bar who's having a drink of water. But he's not satisfied, Michael, with this one glass of water. So he, you see him over a few interactions talking to the bartender. Next thing you know, he's got a jug of water and he's pouring the jug into his mouth. And as he does so, the hump on his back begins to grow as he sits at the bar because, Michael, he's a camel. And that's, that's where amazing. all his water goes that's to. brilliant. Wonderful stuff. And just a quick one as well. There's a waiter who's uh, giving Anna Spornacopita his soup 
at this point where she's on the phone. She sends it back. Why does she send it back, Michael? Because the waiter's thumb is in the soup because he's a fly in my soup. Of Very course he good. is. It's so in keeping with people being offended by thumbs in this episode. Of course, the thumb, as she's talking, actually, ironically, as she's literally talking right. to Bojack on the phone about, you know what a thumbs up is. A thumbs up in my soup is no good either, apparently. <laughs> we go down to Pacific Ocean City. We come out of the Free Willy International Airport, Michael. <laughs> or should I say International Seaport? I beg my pardon. Um And then we also get a bunch of stuff, yeah, as you can imagine. Lots of things going on in this brand new world. There's a poster for the Pacific Ocean Film Festival that Bojack is going to. And, of course, it is at the the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, as opposed to the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, and the Watermark Theatre, too. And on top of that, we get two brilliant guys here, two shrimp businessmen who are just strolling along. They try to hail a car, but before they can, a whale comes out of the airport on the seaport, Michael, and just eats them both up. Eats them both up. The luggage is left discarded, and the whale goes one further, and the whale hails the cab and gets in and drives off in the cab. Absolutely heartless stuff here. Also, the next car to pull in is a car full of sardines, who we'll see throughout the episode, mm-hmm. travelling in a big school of them. And the registra- registration plate of their car is 5-A-L-T-Y. Salty, of course. Because, which probably describes the two shrimps that just got eaten up by the whale. <laughs> um, also, the taxi driver signed for Bojack is wonderful. It says, Bojack Horseman, in brackets, chubby with a sport coat. <laughs> Which is brilliantly denoted as Bojack gets a little bit angry with him, but because they can't communicate, the taxi driver goes up to him and prods him in his belly and then points to his sport coat. He's like, yeah, checks out. <laughs> we also get a wonderful poster for a restaurant in the background that's called Le Poissine, Le Poissine, <laughs> restaurant which is, of course, a reference to the Little Mermaid song that the chef is singing called Les Poissons, or Les Poissons, whichever way you want to pronounce it. We go to the Ritz-Carlton, sorry, the Rince-Carlton Hotel, <laughs> I should say. It's going to happen throughout this episode. There's too many of these little bits. First thing we get in Bojack's hotel room, there's a painting on the wall. You might think it's familiar if you're into your art, but that's because it is. It's the painting by Pablo Picasso. It's called Figure at the Seaside. It's that little brown collection of things you see in the background mm. by Bojack's bed. Also, in the film festival brochure, I'll have to now you have to bear with me here because Bojack's thumb is kind of obscuring this, but we get the um, what's what's, what's obscuring it? Bojack's thumb, mate. Of course, his thumb is getting in the way of the communication once (laughs) again. Would you believe it? His thumb is on the brochure. That's wonderful stuff, actually. I hadn't even clocked that myself. And it's Kelsey's film, Kelsey's film, which is brilliantly called Billie Jean King is Not My Lover. Uh, Billie Jean King, of course, is the famous tennis player uh, that she is. And just before I dive into this, on one page on the right-hand side, it says Battle of the Species. And you have Billie Jean King uh, holding a tennis racket about to play against a monkey, which is just brilliant. (laughs) I will try and read this now. It's going to be difficult, like I say, because Bojack's thumb getting in the way again. But here is what we have in the brochure that I can actually read. Billie Jean King is not my lover by the director, Kelsey Jannings. Um, From acclaimed director, Kelsey Jannings, in brackets, Women who love women who love recycling, comma, kids are just okay, comma, Diane Feinstein on the beach, close brackets, comes this intimate sports drama about the life and loves of tennis superstar Billie Jean King. Now it's the next little bit's kind of obscure by Bojack's thumb, but it's kind of I make it out here. It says something like a tennis racket what what makes a racket? No, what makes a tennis racket? Is it the grip? Is it the shaft, the open throat, the beam? 
Or is it the strings themselves, so useless on their own, but together somehow impossibly strong? Question mark. <laughs> Billy Jean King is not my lover, argues beautifully and emphatically that its racket is ultimately defined not by things, but by air. Not so much <laughs> not so much the strings that hit the ball, but the space around those strings, the emptiness that allows the racket to breathe. It is an object defined by absence. <laughs> Which is brilliant. There's a whole other paragraph before that, but like I say, you can't really say it because of Bojack's thumb. But yes, well worth it. I'm sure you all agree. In the hotel room, though, as you said, Bojack is trying to watch his TV. There's a few TV shows pop up. There's one that's called Blackfish-ish, which is, of course, <laughs> not the American sitcom Black-ish. And on top of that, there's also Naked and, fil- Naked and Filleted, or I want to call it Filleted, but Filleted. And it's basically, instead of it being a chef show, it's the chef trying to kill two naked fish people who he's chasing around with his knife. <laughs> Brilliant stuff, this. There's also um, a Mr. Peanut Butter advert that pops up for Seaborn Seahorse Milk, Michael, mm. which is, of course, a wonderful callback to Season 3, Episode 2, where Bojack, and we go back in time, don't we? And Bojack is, it's the episode Bojack Horseman, the Bojack Horseman show. Yeah. And Peanut Butter is talking to his then wife, Jessica Beale. And he says to her, you are now looking at the new face of Seaborn Seahorse Milk. So we didn't have to wait long for that to pay off. Good storytelling. Wonderful yeah. stuff. And on top of that, the sardines from earlier, you will see them in the room next door to Bojack. But they're all like oddly huddled in. And there's that <laughs> shot of them all in their suits just staring forward. I'm almost certain that's a shot as a reference to an album cover. But it eludes me at this point. It's just dawned on me. Maybe it's somewhere else. Anyway, we go to the hotel lobby downstairs. Uh, thoughts on the postcard, by the way, at Podcast Horseman. If yeah. Anything comes for that. Uh, but we go down to the hotel lobby, and there's some brilliant gags here. There's a squid actor. I think it's an actor or a director who's wandering around, and loads of people come running at him for his autograph. They want him, they've got the pictures, they want his autograph. So what does he do, Michael? He doesn't bother signing them, even though he's got all those arms. He just squeezes and farts out a puddle of ink. <laughs> squid ink spreads everywhere, and when it clears, all the pictures have... Otto the Octopus signed on them quite <laughs> brilliantly. Good little shortcut, that, really, if you can do it. There's also a film poster, one of my favourite things I've never noticed in this episode, for Do the Right Thing too. Do the th- And it says, Do the Thing More Right. A, sp- <laughs> a Spike Lee joint, which is, of course, the sequel to his film, Do the Right Thing. And actually, Spike Lee is, is here. He's in the episode. Perfectly drawn, I should point out. Looks amazing. He's got one of them little helmets on as well. He's talking to a fan. Brilliant stuff. And then in the background of this scene, you'll see another painting. There's been plenty of art in this episode, actually. But this is an, it's, it's, you'll see, it's a, it's a big white, a great white shark, that's a great white shark, a killer whale, I should say, a white whale, much like Ahab and the whale. Uh, you see a boxer who's going to go one on one with this whale. The whale's got boxing glove on, the other guy's got the harpoon to throw at it. But it's a nod to uh, George Bellow's famous painting, Stag at Sharkies, which if you've ever seen it, you will understand the reference. Um, there's also another actor who's a blowfish, a blowfish, and she gets startled by a waiter who drops a bunch of glasses. And after being this slim little figure, she expands very quickly and blows <laughs> up because obviously the defense mechanisms have kicked in. Also, just a little quick note the bird journalists are there who have followed Bojack around multiple times in Hollywood. They have made the trip down to Pacific Ocean City, as has Michael, the flat peak cap and flannel. Jacket wearing guy who we've seen in multiple different things. Yes, yeah. He was last on the giggle ship trying to make it as a 
uh, improv comedian. Well, now it seems definitely not a cult, by the way, Michael. Now it seems <laughs> he's decided to ditch that and he's a journalist. He's got his helmet on. He's taken notes at the press uh, interview for Secretariat, I believe. Um, also on top of that, there's a little fish photographer who's taking pictures of Bojack. And as he's doing so, he's got one of those antennas. I can't remember the name of the fish, but it's got the little light on the front. And the light is the thing that is his flash. His antenna is the flash for every picture he takes of Bojack. And as you mentioned, Bojack holding a magazine over his face. His face is secretary on the front, but a wonderful advert on the back of it for a film called Midnight Hole, which features the actor Matt Dermon. <laughs> D-E-R-M-O-N. Can't think who that would be in reference to, but who knows, Michael? It must be somebody famous. Yeah. Uh, back to the Pacific Ocean City streets, and you will see as Bojack's walking through, you see it on the streets. In, like in that lovely shot I mentioned from up under of his chin and the, the rest of the skyscraper, but also in the windows of some shops. There's a TV. It's got Tom Gumbo Jumbo on there, and it says, straight from the horse's thumb, the news has spread of Bojack <laughs> using his thumb, and there's pictures everywhere. And there's a wonderful ticker that's going across the bottom of the screen that says, Michael Richard says, this is way worse than what I did. <laughs> <laughs> which is, of course, in reference to Michael Richards of Seinfeld fame when he had his uh, racist rant, we shall call it, uh, during a stand-up show that he that he did. Unfortunately, I should say, ruined his whole career, which is a massive shame. Uh, there's also a sign for a shop called Dugong Donuts, which is in reference to <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts. And a Dugong is a hilarious-looking fish for anybody who hasn't. Just go and, go and look up the fish. I did my research before this, and I just started laughing as I was talking to Hamlet, saying, <laughs> look at this fish, it's so funny-looking. There's also a brilliant gag with a crab, a hermit crab who's a cyclist, and his his shell is like a basket that he's riding, which is like he's one of those guys who would give people a lift on a bike. You pay them the money, and they will transport you through the city. Um, and when Bojack then tries to give the note to Kelsey, as you'll see, initially he tries to give her it, and in the background, Michael, has a wonderful shot of a very familiar face wearing a helmet. You mentioned it could have looked like it might have been Herb Kazaz from mm. a distance, but it's not. It is, in fact. A man from the very first episode of Bojack Horseman, season one. It is the cartel man, as his actually name is in the credits. Oh, the car yes. cartel man has got the helmet on and is just casually walking around through Pacific Ocean City, probably on the run. For anybody who's starting <laughs> to figure it out, it's the man who Todd throws the birthday party for at Bojack's house in episode one. And, even better, Michael, a little sign on the window because we are underwater after all, so it's not chicken for days michael it's tuna for days because <laughs> <laughs> tuna for daisy totally crazy i just we love get... the idea of seeing the chicken for days advert but always it's the bubbles popping out <laughs> Anyway, before we completely derail this whole podcast, let's get on the bus that Bojack gets forced on by those sardines who keep making such a, an appearance in this episode. Uh, all of the interior bus handles that people would hold on are all fish hooks, which I thought was a lovely, <laughs> a lovely little tidbit. There's also a sign on the back that says, if you see any suspicious packages, find us, keep us. Keep all of them. <laughs> Brilliantly as well, the book that you mentioned the seahorse gives to Bojack is indeed a book about what to expect when you're expecting. It is called What to Expect When You're a Male Seahorse Expecting, which is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> the book is written by, and this is a lovely little tidbit, I thought. The book is written by Dr. Pippi Campus, 
which might sound familiar to you, like the word hippocampus, which to you and I is the part of our brain that is primarily associated with memory, but if you translate it from Latin, is of course sea horse, which oh, is the wow. horse that we're looking at there. You fantastic. see, you do, a of, you do a bit of digging, it's all relevant. Um, then we go to the Tide You Over Mart, which is the little shop that Bojack goes to after he gets off the bus. On the exterior of the shop, you'll see there's a, there's a post that, oh, sorry, a sign that says CVD Rentals, as in C, the C, VD mm -hmm. Rentals, Hollywood's hottest movies. And then there's also an ad for <laughs> Herring Aid Batteries, sold here. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you're hearing shot and you're a herring, Michael, you are in luck. Um, also, you'll see the sign that's got Mr. Peanut Butter on in his suit. Seahorse Milks, it says. Keeps your seahorse baby from crying. Take it from me, a childless dog. <laughs> <laughs> and I did also want to note here, it's very similar to this. Again, another lost in translation reference. It looks like uh, Bob Harris doing the Santuri Time advert. Instead of it being mm. a glass of whiskey, he's in a suit and he's holding the bottle of seahorse milk. I'm sure yes. it's but very sure. Anyway, inside the Tidy Over Mart, you, I'm sorry because there's going to be so much in here. I do apologize. We get a bunch of things. There's a, ma a magazine, a bunch of magazines. One of them's called MILF Magazine, which you might think is the way you think it is, but it's not because there's a monkey on the cover, Michael. So it's <laughs> like the F. There's also another magazine called Master Bait Magazine. Yes. Uh, with a picture of a hypersexualized starfish, I think we can both agree. Mm -hmm. And on there, there's a few, there's a few bits we get to see. Yeah, it says gills, 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 as opposed to gills, gills, gills. <laughs> um, there's Star Power Lover. It says Lena Lutfisk and Ebony Escalar, hardcore soft shell action. <laughs> it says we've got the top 10 deepest trenches, which sounds. Oh, disgusting. God. There's also, it says. Big busty guppies or gippies rather, <laughs> and then we also get jellyfish bear it all in our see-through centerfold. <laughs> God, it's nice to see that underwater they're just as bad as they are above water. It's all There's good. also Bojack on the cover of a magazine called Sea People Magazine, where it's a controversy of him giving the thumbs up with a stop sign over his thumb, and there's a little caption on the side that says, "You're fat," and more insults to make you insecure. Big nose. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a couple of other magazines. One's called Sharp Magazine. One's called Newsbeak Magazine. There's one called Merkin Monthly Mag. And I think that's all of the magazines. But there's a bunch of other stuff in here. There's a Billy Bass singing fish for sale, Michael, on the back uh -huh. wall. But, of course, Billy Bass is a person, so it's the same. But it's got <laughs> human arms and legs, and it's in a shirt and tie. It looks pretty funny. Uh, there's also a sign that says, we accept CBT cards. And then there's a bunch of T-shirts on top of that. I'll have to give you the three T-shirts and then explain one of them to you. It says, one of the T-shirts says, I heart my hem hematodinium parasite, it says on it. Right. And the shirt next to it says, I don't. And the shirt next to that says, stop fighting, you two. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if you were sat there like me thinking, what on earth is a word that Adam Nicholas can't pronounce? Hematodinium is a genus of dinoflagellites, species in the genus such as hematodinium peretzi, the type species are internal parasites of the hemolymph of crustaceans, <laughs> such as the Atlantic blue crab. And I'm not going to go any further because I couldn't butcher those words more. I, I, if, if you didn't know that, then I'm afraid I can't help fill in the gaps for that phoenix. No, if, you, if you couldn't get there yourself, I mean, what, you know, you're trying, <laughs> right? 
There's also a few other things in the background still. There's bottles of designer oxygen, which I thought was great. <laughs> There's also um, the disgusting shrimp, sh disgusting shrimp soda, which says in brackets, yes, soda, not pop. Uh, there's also uh, a little pile for gill polish, just to shine up your gills in case you, you weren't feeling it. There's another couple, of, there's a poster for algae smoothies, Michael, which I believe also got referenced in an earlier episode on the coffee board, perhaps. Hmm. The same the set episode two, the flashback episode. But brilliantly, we get the guy who's actually running the store. We find out his name, and you're going to love this. The shopkeeper's name on his tag is Tim Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> and he's reading a he's reading a newspaper called the Maritimes, the Maritimes newspaper. Of course, he is. Um, but yes, we finally get out. If, if only he knew, Bojack. I've got a brother that works in Hollywood. <laughs> if only he knew. If only he knew. We're nearly there. We're nearly there. Freshwater taffy factory. We go to next, and I just want to give a shout out to the mantis shrimp person who's running the factory for no other reason, Michael, than because I absolutely love. The mantis shrimp. I think it's one of the most fascinating little fish underwater. I guess it doesn't count as a fish. It's a shrimp or whatever mm. it goes into. Genuinely, if you can, look up the video about mantis shrimp. It's hilarious. It tells you all you need to know about it. It's a fascinating creature. I just love mantis shrimp. There you go. A little bit of tidbit about Adam Nicholas. Also, there's a workout who's in the, in the factory we see at the back when everything's going a bit wrong. They're standing waiting for the coffee to brew, holding a mug that says, I love my 475th son. <laughs> or I love my number 475 son, which maybe he got given by a very aggressively <laughs> pregnant father. Who knows? Um, there's also a lovely little bit here where Bojack, as you mentioned, falls off the ledge as he's standing outside the taffy factory. And it's kind of a little nod and a throwback to the pigeon from season three, episode one, where they're in New York and the pigeon goes to uh, attempt oh, suicide yes. yeah. and jumps off, but remembers it can fly and flies away. Instead, Bojack mm. jumps off because he falls off, but ends up being able to fly away because he can swim in the water. I believe that might be almost every... Oh, no, there's two more little ones. I do tell a lie. Two more tiny ones here. We go to the Rinse Carlton again and uh, the Secretariat Review, as you mentioned, we get a quick shot of it. It's by Deadline Ocean. The headline reads, Secretariat makes big splash at Puff by the artist, the artist, by the author, Vicky Fishstick. <laughs> um, it says, Horseman's performance is the must-see under the sea. Bojack Horseman gives a career-defining performance as Secretariat in the hottest film at Puff this year. The story of Secretariat is a tragically familiar rags to riches to suicide biopic tale <laughs> told confidently by director Abe de Catfish. A brilliant summary, that, if ever there was one. And last but not least, a tiny little tidbit, this one. But as we see Bojack going to the streets one last time of Pacific Ocean City, there's the sign for the shop, Urban Outflippers, which is a great take <laughs> on, on Urban Outfitters. Michael, those are all of the little bits that we had from this week's episode of Podcast Horseman and the Horsen Around segment. But we do, allegedly, setting the clock there, still have time for yeah. one last thing, and then I swear to God, we'll shut up about this episode forever. Now, my sources tell me that you actually want to go second this week. Yes, please, if that's okay. I could sense it in the water, you might say. <laughs> Who knows? Or maybe we just spoke about it before this. I don't particularly care. But I was going to do one thing for my horse in the round, but I've decided to change my opinion, my opinion, my take on this altogether. 
In lieu of remembering this quote, as you mentioned, the quote that Bojack writes down for Kelsey, or certainly the beginning of it, on that mm. piece of paper, just to refresh your memory, he says, Kelsey, in this terrifying world, all we have are the connections that we make. Now, brilliant little line of dialogue, this, well, not dialogue, brilliant little line that Bojack writes down on the paper, I should say. I just want to dive into this with something random that it made me think of that ties in perfectly to this. Um, and you might like this. You might like this, Michael Hamlet, as a point to you that nobody can see, but also the people at home and who are listening to this might enjoy it too. It really, this episode really made me think about human connections and mm. things being lost in translation, and how ultimately people's lives are intertwined in ways. And you might see somebody in the background, but ultimately they mean nothing. You're living your life. Borja is the the main star of his film. I think we can all agree. Yeah. And everybody else there is just the extra in the film that is his life. But they're all dealing with things as complicated as he is. Which brings me lovely to one of my favourite words in the whole wide world, Michael. There's a thing that's called the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. I don't know if anybody's familiar, or maybe you are or aren't. It's basically full of people who like to talk about real sad words and give them big, deep meanings, which I don't even know if they're actually real words, but I do like them. And there's this one in particular. The word is sonder, Michael. And the, the explanations for them are always long and big-winded, but on purpose, I think you'll find. Yeah. Just... It just feels like it applies to this perfectly. Sonder, the realisation that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own, populated with their own ambitions, friends, routines, worries, and inherited craziness. An epic story that continues invisibly around you like an anthill sprawling deep underground with elaborate passageways to thousands of other lives that you'll never know existed, in which you might only appear once as an extra sipping coffee in the background, as a blare of traffic, passing on the highway as a lighted window at dusk. And if that doesn't kind of sum up all of the mad isolation that's going on in this episode, of everybody being so focused on their things and not being able to communicate properly, I don't know what does, but it just immediately came to my head when I read that thing by Kelsey, and I just thought it was a nice little tie in there. I love that. That is mm. absolutely gorgeous. I love that. Sonder. Sonder. S-O-N-D-E-R it is. Adam Nicholas and Bojack Horseman dropping in things that are going to make me literally look at the world differently when I leave my house tomorrow. <laughs> or I suppose if I leave my house tomorrow, it's still 2020. Um, <laughs> I I love that, and I can't top it. So I'm going to do something a little bit different. Um, waxed lyrical enough in this podcast about how wonderful this episode is. And in tribute to this episode and the fact that hardly a word is spoken, and yet so many people have come together to create a television show normally reliant on dialogue, to do it without their key weapon. I'm going to do what Netflix doesn't enough uh, and pay tribute to every single person that contributed to this show. I'd like to think we're making a bit of podcast history here because I don't imagine any television show review ever has done this. I'd like, if you'll indulge me, to read out the name of every single person that was involved in making this show. Taking the cast list and the credit list from IMDb because Netflix mm -hmm. credits go too quick for me to uh, effectively get the names of everybody. Thank you Indeed. very much. Um, for making the shows, if not telling me who made them. Um, something something I think Raphael Bob Waxberg will tell us all about when he comes on for the last episode. Well, this is it. I think he'll reference this episode specifically much in the same way that re-reference it when we're recommending it to others. So I wanted to highlight it here above all others, um, just to pay a split second of tribute to absolutely every single person that made this mm. wonderful thing. So yes, the complete lineup of everybody that was involved in making this episode, starting from... Alison Brie and Will Arnett obviously lending their voices and executive producer credits to the show. Elijah Aaron, Eric Blyler, Raphael Bob's Waxberg, Noah Bright, Alexander Bulky, 
Joanna Callow, Corey Campodonico, Richard Choi, Stephen A. Cohen, Blair Fetner, Lisa Hannawalt, Peter Knight, Joe Lawson, Aaron Paul, Kate Purdy, Vera Santamaria, Christopher Singleton, Andy Wheel, Jane Wiseman, Jordan Young, Jesse Nova, Jose L. Martinez, Linda LaMontagna, uh, Giovanni Cardenas, Stephen Chan, Elizabeth McMahal, Haley Merkai, Alejandra Quintes, Dante Tuminello, Hunter Cora, Joy Ellett, Conrad Pignon, Kaelin C. Riley, Andrew Tweet, Ethan Walter, Julianne Martin, Elizabeth McMahal, Raphael Bogsbachler again, Stephen Chan, Anne Walker-Farrell, Eric Gernt, Cindy Gurrieri, Keith Holden, Rachel Hunt, Kayla K. Jones, Lawton Critchman, Mary Nesh, Adam Parton, Crystal Stormer, Rishon Vassandani, Claire Levinson, Patrick J. Carney, Andrew Gowan, Eko Kagasoff, Amy Schwartz, Alex Bradley, Nikki Breyer, Dominique N. Butler, Sean Gilroy, Angeline Izaquidado, Dan Navarro, Michelle Ryan, Andy Schlebacher, and Chris Weller. We salute you all, even if I can only apologise for how I might have butchered the pronunciation of your name. Thank you all so very much for what we've just been able to watch and talk about. Yeah, absolutely amazing this. And well, I really like the idea of this. Like, uh, I feel like not enough times this happens where people get the actual recognition. And when you make a piece of art that that's that good, I think we'll be fools not to give them all the nod, even if every episode of Netflix tries to usher you away as fast as possible before you get a chance to. And I was just going to add, sorry, if IMDb or indeed Netflix has missed anybody out and anybody happens to get win that was involved in the making of the show, please tweet us at Podcast Horseman for your own individual shout out. For God's sake, the last thing we'd want is to miss out your name. If you know that you're on this list and you know that you're part of this, please get in touch with us, reach out to us and we'll gladly shout you out. We couldn't be more honoured to shout you out. Yeah, absolutely. We can only say and reiterate, this is the list that Michael was given on IMDb. So anything that is on there is included, but I'm sure there's probably a few who might have missed the boat. Hey, get it? <laughs> it's a boat. Like, yeah, I'm going to shut up now and just let's do our last <laughs> little plugs. Let's quickly get on the boat and get out of here quick. Um, I'm going to do our last little plugs. Yeah, let's, if you like this episode of Podcast Horseman or indeed you just like this show, please do give us a follow on all of the usual social places, Twitter or Instagram at Podcast Horseman. Please do let us know. I'd love to hear all your thoughts about this episode. Please feel free to fire them across, even if it's just your favourite bits from the episode, the things you noticed that we missed, anything. Don't hesitate to get in touch. Talk yourself horse about a talking horse. And while you are on, you can find either of your hosts on Twitter. You can find me at It's Adam Nicholas or you can find Michael Hamflet. At Michael Hamflet. You can catch this podcast. We have reviewed every single episode of Bojack Horseman, including the Christmas special, with season recaps up to this point. It is all available in the archives at Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe, rate and review, leave us some feedback. It can be nasty, it can be nice, it can be anything it wants, but it really helps us up those weird Apple Podcast charts and gets more people talking themselves horse about the talking horse. You can also follow along on Spotify, you can subscribe on Acast, and you can listen through an Acast link that will appear every Friday on the at Podcast Horseman Twitter feed. And um, If you retweet that tweet uh, announcing the episode that week, you will get yourself into Season three's very special Hollywood Talk of Fame which is exactly what at Library Blue 7 did. That's Library Blue. Um, just one of the many people that very were very grateful for retweeting the episode, sharing the message, sharing the podcast. Thank you very much, Library Blue. A star on Hollywood Talk of Fame will be winging its way to you through all the use of social channels soon. Soon being the key word, Michael. <laughs>
I'm going to get them all when they least expected. Just when they've all given up hope on ever getting the stars, I'm going to come in and light up their life with all of the illumination from the multitude. <laughs> At this point, it's going to be like 100 stars I'm going to have to do in one sitting. But never mind, I will get there one day and you'll all be really happy. Or maybe bored. Who knows? It could be a while. <laughs> um, <laughs> would, you, anyway, would, you say you're drown- would you say you're drowning in this a little bit at the moment in, in keeping a- with this episode? <laughs> I would say there's a lot of stars, Michael, and I would say I'm just one of the many superstars who run this show. I can't do it all, even if Michael keeps making me do more work than he does. Anyway, uh, (laughs) let's jump into the Netflix synopsis for next week's episode of BoJack Horseman and indeed Podcast Horseman Season 3, Episode 5, Love and All Marriage, Michael, which could best be described our relationship at this point, I think. Uh, while Todd and Bojack crash a rehearsal dinner, Diane gets high with a client. Princess Carolyn goes on a series of blind dates. Oh, that sounds like a whole bunch of exciting stuff. I assume that we're going to be getting back to the usual routine, not so much of an artistic piece every week. But if you want to find out what happens on that episode, you will have to come next week for this show once again. Nearly forgot what I was going to say there. But before my brain switches off altogether... Thank you very much for joining us. I have been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamflet. And this has been Podcast Horseman. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough, Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.